0: Eric Cook was the name of my dear friend and Christian brother from my hometown church. Uh, The joy of the Lord was all over Eric Cook. Uh, When his wife died of cancer, his faith-filled refrain throughout the whole process was this, Chris, God is as good as he is sovereign. And in life or in death, I just want Christ to be magnified. And then, while Eric himself endured the affliction of cancer, his heavenly poise amazed all the nurses at the James Center in Columbus. And I had the privilege, I I got to go and meet him several times, visit him as he laid there in the hospital, slowly passing away. And every time I went to visit Eric, he wanted to sing worship songs together. Unashamedly, out loud, right there in the hospital wing, with tears flowing down his face and his arms raised as high as the IVs would allow. And the last time that we sang together, we sang In Christ Alone as a, as a group of nurses gathered outside of his room they are peering through the doorway to witness the sheer spectacle of a man who by God's sustaining grace was fearlessly enduring affliction and Eric ended up passing away but there was something about his faithful endurance that made me want to do the same should I ever be faced with intense affliction. There was something about his faithful endurance that bolstered my confidence in the Lord and and stirred my desire to sing through affliction. And maybe you've, you've witnessed something similar in a fellow brother or sister. There's something about witnessing a fellow Christian endure hardship faithfully something exhilarating and emboldening about it and and that is exactly what we read happening in our passage this morning Uh, we continue in our series through the book of Philippians this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 1 verses 12 through the first half of 18 and remember with me before we read the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome for crimes he didn't commit, he's awaiting trial before the sadistic emperor Nero, and yet, despite his frightening circumstances, so far in the letter, we've already seen, he is soaked from head to toe in deep, confident, Christ-focused joy And so from prison, he writes this letter to the church that he loves in the Roman colony of Philippi. He writes to thank them for a financial care package they had just recently sent. But he also is writing this church in Philippi Philippi, to bolster and to encourage them because they too are beginning to face Christian persecution. Last week in verses 3 through 11 of chapter 1, Paul expressed his gratitude and affection and prayer for them, and now I'd like you to follow along as I read verse 12 through the first half of verse 18, Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that... And in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, we ask that you would take this word that you inspired and that you would admonish our hearts with this word that you would convict us, that you would lead us to repentance, that you would conform us to the righteousness of Christ, that we would look more like Jesus because of this text. And we trust that you will do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is enduring affliction. and. Many other Christians in Rome are enduring affliction. And the Philippian Christians to whom Paul is writing, they are enduring affliction. The rebellious first century world is apparently doing everything it can to extinguish the flame of the gospel. And yet, just like we've just read, and just like throwing water on a grease fire, The flame of the gospel is not stifled by affliction, it is stoked. The glorious truth of the risen Christ cannot be extinguished, not then, not now, not ever. And Paul's aim in this part of the letter, the verses we've just read, his hope is to embolden the Philippians who are also facing some persecution. If I could summarize what we've just read into one sentence, Paul's aim is to say, Look, as we endure affliction faithfully, the gospel advances fruitfully. And I believe that Paul is also, you know, Chinna, take courage, Philippians, take heart. Remember what we've learned through the crucifixion and subsequent resurrection of Christ. Our God wins through apparent defeat. And so if we were to break down that summary statement. As we endure affliction faithfully, the gospel advances fruitfully. I believe that that summarizes our passage. And I'm going to break that statement in half and that's going to be our outline. So for the remainder of our time, I have two points. Number one, as we endure affliction faithfully, number two, the gospel advances fruitfully. Let's look at point number one. As we endure affliction faithfully. In verses 12 and 13, if you look at the passage here, Paul reports that through his imprisonment, the good news of Christ has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Now, the Roman imperial guard was comprised of around 9,000 troops. And to all the rest, pa- uh, Paul probably means, you know, Roman leaders and officials and citizens. His point, thousands of Romans are hearing the gospel. But how? How? Remember with me, back to the book of Acts, in the last chapter, we learned that for two years, while Paul is under the rotating watch of Roman guards in house arrest, while he awaits trial before Emperor Nero, we learned that he is allowed to preach Christ to any and all visitors who come to him in Rome. And that is exactly what he is doing. As he writes this letter, He is talking about Christ to the night guard. He is talking about Christ to the morning guard. He is talking about Christ to the noon guard and the evening guard and the guard switch and all of that. He is talking and preaching Christ throughout the very affliction that is meant to silence him about Christ. And this is what it means To endure affliction faithfully. Like my friend, Eric Cook, while he was sick. Certainly, sickness is the result of a world apart from Christ. But for Eric, sickness became the catalyst for leading people to Christ. And look, we are all going to endure affliction in in some way or another. And we're all, in fact, right now enduring some form of affliction. I don't know what yours is. It could be health-related. It could be relational or even occupational at work. Here is the admonition to the people of Christ. Put on, by the Spirit of power, put on faithfulness prayerfully meditate on God's word make it your daily commitment your hourly commitment be in the word put on the praises of God armor yourself in worship memorize God's precious promises that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you believer amen Put on this precious promise that when you share in the afflictions that Christ endured, you will also share in the resurrection he secured. And after you've reminded yourself of those things, faithful endurance is a team sport. One of the reasons why we have community groups in this church, I need you as much as you need me. We need to ask fellow believers to walk with us, pray with us, check on us, and remind us that even the worst of affliction is only temporal. It's a speck on the radar in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that will soon be revealed. I need to be reminded of this all the time, and so do you. And so are you catching fire? Are you catching heat from your unbelieving spouse or family member or coworker or classmate? Are you getting teased or, or mocked or ridiculed for your faith? Is your Christian life right now alienating you from friends or even posing a threat to your job? Here's how I'll stir up some encouragement. Remember, Jesus is alive. He is king. He is God. He is good. He is soon to return to make all things new. Greater is he that lives in you than he who is in the world. So family in Christ, chin up. Stand tall. Carry the torch. And remember that in every seeming defeat we experience in this life, every seeming defeat in this life, Echoes the promise of the empty tomb. And in Christ's economy, to lose is to win. Paul would ask the, the Roman church, whom or what would even dare separate you from the love of Christ? Would tribulation, distress, Persecution, famine, poverty, danger, sword? What was Paul's answer to his own? No! Through all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. May we be so confident in Christ. May we be so confident in his promises. May we be so confident in our eternal position with him that affliction strangely serves to strengthen, not subdue, our faith-filled zeal. Point number one, as we endure affliction faithfully... Point number two, the gospel advances fruitfully. So in verses 12 and 13, Paul shares how the gospel is advancing in his neck of the woods. And then in verse 14, he shares how the gospel is actually advancing all throughout Rome because many Christian brothers have been emboldened on account of his faithful endurance in prison. The Greek word adelphos, can strictly be translated as brothers, but it can also be translated, depending on the context, as brothers and sisters. Either way, Paul's point, whether he writes to just brothers or brothers and sisters, like I think, his point in verse 14 remains the same. And his point in verse 14 actually reminds me of my own experience as I watched my friend, Eric Cook, endure cancer faithfully. I was emboldened by him. I wasn't afraid of affliction to the degree that I once was. I was, in fact, inspired to praise Christ louder through affliction, not quieter. The gospel advances fruitfully. And we see it not just among the imperial guard and officials and citizens in Paul's sphere of influence. We see that the gospel is advancing fruitfully not just by the mouths of the emboldened Roman Christians who are, look down at verses 15 and 16. There are some emboldened Roman Christians who are preaching Christ from goodwill and out of love for God and for Paul. But the gospel keeps fruitfully advancing through those who are preaching Christ. Look at verse 15 again. Out of envy and rivalry, Verse 17, out of selfish ambition and insincerity and out of a desire to actually afflict Paul while he's locked up. Okay, (laughs) we read that rightly. What? What? Let me try to illustrate what Paul is going on about here. Imagine if there had been a man in the hospital room next to my friend Eric Cook. And in, his, in the room next to Eric Cook, he heard all of the applause that the nurses were giving to Eric for his fearless faith. Now imagine that man listening in. He wanted a taste of the notoriety himself. So he started to sing worship songs in his room. He started to read scripture out loud from his room with the hope of gaining some accolades for himself. That is what Paul is saying some people are doing around Rome. They're not preaching Christ sincerely. They're not preaching Christ humbly. They're preaching Christ to make a name for themselves while the apostle Paul The titan himself is all locked up. I'm going to go out and I'm going to fill his shoes and I'm going to do his work. That's what's happening. And what does Paul have to say about it in verse 18? This is stunning. Just that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. What? What? I'll again try to illustrate why I think he's rejoicing. I'll illustrate with this story. My dad's a pilot and he used to fly to and from China all the time. And in China you can get these knockoff North Face jackets and fleeces. Y'all familiar with the brand brand North Face? Well these jackets, these knockoffs, they sell really well because they look legit. And whoever is making them over in Asia is lucratively riding the coattails of the actual brand. Now, I am not endorsing counterfeit apparel. That's not what I'm doing. It is just interesting to realize something, that even counterfeit North Face jackets have helped to expand the recognition of the brand worldwide. Even though the apparel is inauthentic, More and more and more people are seeing that logo wherever they go. I think this might be why Paul is so joyful. Even if his ministry is being hijacked by these insincere insincere preachers, even if some people are content to abandon him in prison because they found another preacher out in the streets, Paul knows that these new preachers aren't legit, but he knows the name that they are preaching is legit. So he rejoices. And look, later on in this letter, Paul is going to go after false teaching. He is not condoning false teaching. I do think, as I chatted with Ed Rosha between the gatherings, I think that he's onto something here where there's a difference between the message and the messenger. These guys apparently aren't preaching a false message. They're preaching Jesus with selfish motive. Later on, the bad bad message itself is going to get called out. Paul is not condoning some sort of false teaching. He's saying, you know what, if Jesus is being proclaimed truly, even if it's insincere, hallelujah, hallelujah. What I love about this and what I want us to zero in here for a minute or zero in on for a minute, it's not about Paul. I love how not about Paul it is. It isn't about his position, his ministry, his influence. It really, truly, deeply is all about Jesus for him. And this is a sign, this is a sign of the new birth. This is not possible apart from new birth in Christ. Because if we can remember the biblical story all the way back to the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam, our first parent, our first dad, Adam, ever since him in the garden, the way of mankind has been self-exaltation. The serpent slithered up. You can have equality with God You can have notoriety for yourself If you just take the fruit What did Adam and what did Eve want? They wanted notoriety They wanted accolades They wanted glory They wanted wisdom And so we in and of ourselves Born of Adam Flesh and bone I'll say it for me firstly And I'll let the Holy Spirit confirm this I am so much more concerned about myself than I am of Christ. And this is a huge problem in the church. Even in the church. Uh, Years ago, I, back in, in, my music days, just before there was a a band that I was a part of and we were able to play the the main stage at this huge Christian music festival in Gaylord, Michigan. And as we were coming onto the stage and as the band prior to us was coming off, this band, tons of singles on all of the popular radio, uh, Christian radio, I'll never forget, they stood toe-to-toe with us and basically said, how dare you? take the good time and spot on the stage. You're playing in the prime time. We should be up there. We deserve it more than you. We are more well-known than you are. And it became this thing. And I'm not here, I'm not even gonna tell you who, I'm not throwing shade or, or, or talking trash. Here's the thing though. It's, it's sobering for me to use that illustration to preach to my own heart, When we are more concerned with our own notoriety than we are of Christ's, we are incapable of rejoicing like Paul does in verse 18. We are incapable of being outshone or made small, just like Adam in the garden. I want accolades. I want notoriety. I want equality with God. I want glory. The mere fact that Paul is able to write the way he does in verse 18 is a sign of new birth. This man is new. And so let me turn this toward you. I'm asking the same of myself. Do you feel as though you are living in another believer's shadow? Is someone else in a position that you think you deserve? what an opportunity between the quiet of your soul and the father who sees and hears what an opportunity for you to prayerly prayerfully rejoice not because you are being exalted but if christ is you have every reason to exalt to worship to rejoice And I am very confident to believe that every one of us has this in some way, shape, or form in our life. Well, how come I'm not being noticed? How come I'm not being heard and listened to and appreciated the way that I deserve? In the quiet of your soul, take it to the Father who sees and hears in secret and rejoice. And actually, let's gospel ourselves for a second if you can recall the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are several recorded events where a debate breaks out between Jesus' disciples. You know what that debate entails? Who's the greatest? Which one of us is the greatest, Jesus? Which one of us is gonna sit at your right hand in power? Who is the greatest? And you can hear them. I am. No, I am. No, no, I am. No, I am. Meanwhile, the I am is knelt on the floor washing their feet. God the Son he who deserved all of the world's accolades, and he is going to get all the world's accolades, by the way, but who should have been paraded around the world with triumph and, and worship, and he should have been gloried in and celebrated and, and exalted as the king. He, that God the Son did not come to be served, but to Serve. To stoop down, to wash the feet of those who were inundated with the argument of their own self-exaltation. I was there, not washing the feet, but asking for glory. So were you, so we all were. And in Christ, by repentant faith, we need to see ourselves. Jesus didn't just wash our feet. Like Peter, "I, I need you to wash all of me. And that's what he did. In his death, burial, and resurrection, mercy blood flowed down and washed all of those who are in Christ. Exonerated of guilt, remission of sin, filled with his spirit, imputed with his righteousness, that we may now endure affliction faithfully as we see Jesus did and Paul, and as we get to participate in the advancement of the fruitful gospel advancing. So, if you're like me, for time I dig into scripture, I realize how much of a wretch I am, how much I need to repent, repent with me in prayer, receive his washing. And then let us together endure affliction faithfully as the gospel advances fruitfully. Would you pray with me and then we'll sing together. Father, to quote the psalmist, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me. Forgive me, Lord, for all of my self-exaltation And do more than just simply forgive, Lord, stir it in me and in my brothers and sisters to turn, to repent, to turn and to run toward the righteousness that is ours in Christ. May we be filled with the joy that we see in Paul in verse 18. May we be filled with joy at the very sound that the name of Jesus is advancing. Whether their motives are sincere or not, if Jesus in his death, blood, and re- burial and resurrection is being proclaimed, in that we rejoice. And Lord, teach us as a community of saints to endure together affliction faithfully to be in your word to be in worship, to be in community, asking and stirring on one another, provoking one another to good love, to good works and love as we read in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Lord, do this work in us so that we can be a people such as we see Paul is in this passage and such as we see in Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' overcoming name. Amen.